play was probably a little bit too much, but I was getting gas at the gas station in the good old Coptic church's gas station. And uh dude just like walked up to me or yelled at me and was like, hey, you want to be on my rec league team? Never thought I would be <laughs> like asked to be on a rec league uh, at a gas station. But I, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just was letting you know that my back hurts really bad. So like if I like him sitting weird or fidgeting all the time, <laughs> that's why. Um, anyways, so we are going to start off by reading Psalm 65, which is in your little handout. Let me get to my notes. All right. Praise is due to you, O God and Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. You who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance. O God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain. For so you have prepared it. Your water, it furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pasture of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for this time together. I pray that um, you'll bless this time and guide our time together. Um, Thank you for the rain, Um, thank you for the changing seasons, and thank you for blessing me with living in a place that actually has fall colors. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, a little context for this particular passage in Psalms. Um, It is all about proclaiming and praising the coming kingdom, Um, so you can kind of see in the way it's laid out, uh, the first four verses are about um, the glory of God in God's house, uh, five through eight, verses five through eight, are about the glory of God in the nations or among the nations. And the last nine through 13 is the glory of God in the harvest. So um, it is a psalm of thanksgiving, so we should be reading as praise. Um, but on top of that, many scholars believe that it was used as um, a psalm for the harvest festival. So um, many think that it was used during the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall, which um, in modern times, well, this, at least this year, was celebrated at the end of September. Um, so this psalm is kind of fitting for where we are in our current timeline as well. So with psalms, they poetically like retell from the beginning to the end the whole story of God and God's mission. 
And so when we say this psalm together, when I read it, um, we are proclaiming the whole story of God and God's creation. Um, in many ways, that this book is a book of prayer teaching us um, God's wisdom and justice and how we're supposed to proclaim it uh, with hope, um, the coming kingdom that is. So um, I'm a really big fan of this book. This is by Dr. Dean Fleming. If you don't know who that is, he's a, a globally respected missiologist and is um, also a Nazarene and a professor at Mid-America Nazarene University. Um, so I know some people get some Mid-America cred out here today. Uh, <laughs> but um, in his book, Recovering the Full Mission of God, uh, he focuses on proclaiming the coming kingdom, um, but also being and doing. So he uses language as of um, being, doing, and telling. So that kind of looks like being, meaning the embodying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, that can look like a lot of different things. Um, but many times we are seeking to look like Jesus in our communities um, by who we are. Uh, one example of this, uh, I went on a, well, I was going to start there, but I'll back up. Right before Michaela and I got married, I decided to go on a mission trip. I got back from the mission trip a day before, two days before our wedding. Um, it would be fine if it was locally, but it was in the Philippines, which is a 13-hour time difference. Um, so I was exhausted when I got back for the wedding, but, um, I think I managed all right. I didn't even do any, like, uh, Red Bull or anything that I remember. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so we went there to run a basketball camp. Um, there was a large, um, basketball ministry in Manila, Philippines, and, um, the pastor of that area, as well as the field strategy coordinator, to use Nazarene terms, um, was named Stephen, and, uh, Stephen... Uh, had a huge passion for the part of the city that we were working in. He had grown up there, but historically, um, all those people that lived there, their families were living downtown in Manila. And as Manila began to develop, they were pushed out of the city, literally bust out, promised houses and a tree. Um, none of those ever came to fruition from the government. And so they were pushed out of their homes and having to figure out how to rebuild. And Stephen was just a boy when that was happening. So he had a huge heart for this area um, because it was him. And it was, you know, sometimes you go on mission trips and the missionaries there um, don't fully know the area. They could be new. They could have been born in a different area. Um, but Stephen had a very firm grasp on what these people needed. And I don't really know how to explain this other than uh, Stephen embodied the gospel to the point where whenever he walked in a room, it was like peace and hope had been embodied and walked into that room. Um, people's attitudes completely changed. They relaxed. They were hopeful for a future. And um, Stephen did a lot of good things in that area. Um, since then, he's been promoted to like a more of a administrative role. But um, he he gave a hope to those people, and if he, if he was here, he would definitely tell he didn't do anything, right? He embodied Christ, and that's 
um, what happens. So there's an example of embodying um, or uh, being. The next uh, part that Dean Fleming talks about is doing, meaning taking action or being physically involved. And these are all forms of witness that we can have to our world. An example I have of um, doing, in Austin, Texas, uh, there's an um, organization called Mobile Loves and Fishes that has been a huge part in kind of um, transforming who I am and our different encounters with their organization when we lived in San Marcos, just south of Austin. And the man that started, Alan, noticed that um, Austin was having an influx of a lot of different, um, I don't know if influx is the right way to say it, but there's a lot of reasons why the homeless community was growing in Austin. And so he wanted to do something about it coming from the Catholic tradition. Uh, he just began making sandwiches, getting chips, and taking his truck downtown or to the couple bridges that they would stay at, and um, he would hand out sandwiches and chips. And over time, people started joining him. But his intent was never relief. His intent was relationship. And through those relationships and listening and learning, he learned that the reason why a lot of these chronically unhoused people were in their situations they were was not because of lack of resources, um, but because of lack of community. And in the homeless community, um, they found authentic community. So they don't want to leave. Uh, so through that, a long story short, he, uh, with a lot of work, a lot of fundraising, you know, all those logistics in his nonprofit, they end up creating a small, tiny house community um, that continues to grow. I think they're almost to a thousand tiny homes now. What is permanent housing? They have social enterprises. They have um, a thing called the Genesis Gardens, where they teach people how to garden and they practice regenerative agriculture. And um, they have full health care insurance, mental health as well for all these people. And when you visit, it isn't a typical situation where um, I am the one, like if I were to go in a situation, I am the one that is in a necessarily good situation. What they do there is they allow everyone to be host and allow everyone to be guest. And so when you're walking into this area, you're not going on this tour of uh, homelessness or poverty. You're, you're entering into people's houses. Um, and that radically transforms um, the narrative for these unhoused people, uh, formerly unhoused. And that all started by Alan's witness of doing. Um, the third way Dr. Fleming talks about um, these stories, or this um, way to witness is telling or proclaiming, um, like the psalm was talking about, uh, meaning vocally proclaiming this good news and the kingdom coming. Uh, so before we moved here, we lived in San Marcos, and I worked at, uh, I worked as a teacher in the school time, and then I worked at an after-school program um, at, uh, through Boys and Girls Club in our area. Uh, I was not trained to be a teacher, so most of it I was just trying to figure out what on earth was happening. Um, bless all you teachers. Uh, I taught kindergarten through sixth grade every day, um, which was quite exhausting. Um, and so 
I had this one girl named Nina. Nina, Michaela knows, I came home with daily stories about Nina. So I, I got to show you. Nina was probably about this tall. Um, she was in kindergarten. And her arms were probably the size of this little pole. Not like long, but like thick. She's so, she's so small, right? Yeah, she doesn't got these like long arms that are touching the ground. Um, but she has these, she like like this bangs right here and then short hair, blonde hair, big blue eyes. She was sh- super sweet. When she ran, she kind of like was like, like this. She like, she's like swung her arms in like full motions. It was quite hysterical. Anyways, she always gave me a good story. And this particular day, she walked up to me. As um, soon as they let the after school programs in, she said, Mr. Caleb, Mr. Caleb, I gotta tell you something. And I was like, okay. And she was like, no, come here. And I was like, okay. And she was like, no, give me your ear. I gotta whisper it to you. I was like, geez. And she said, you're ugly. <laughs> I was like, what on earth, Nina? And I didn't know how to react. And she started laughing. And she said, no, I have actually something to tell you. And I said, okay, I don't trust you anymore. Um, but I like leaned down. And I was like, yes, Nina. And she was like, I'm having my sixth birthday party on Saturday. I was like, oh, that's super cool. Um, and she was like, you're invited. I was like, cool, awesome. And so I went to go help another kid, and I turn around, and she's on top of the table. Uh, she's not allowed to be on top of one of the tables. Um, and it was probably a little bit difficult for her to get on top of it because of how short she is. Um, but she stands up, and she says, attention, everybody. And there's like 30, 40 kids running around. You're all invited to my birthday party this Saturday. Talk to my mom when she picks me up. And I was like, oh, dear goodness, her mom's going to be freaked. So, like, I grabbed her, and I was like, I was like, Nina, are you sure your mom's okay with this? And she said, I was like, that's a lot of people. She said, um, yeah, of course it is. Everyone is welcome at my party. It doesn't matter. And she continued, as long as they are there, we can party together. But if they don't come, we can't party. And looking back on that story, I think that's a really good way for us to proclaim the good news in the coming kingdom. Because if we don't have everybody, we can't party. And I'm sure uh, I talked to her mom later, and uh, not everyone came (laughs) because her mom was, like, not prepared for that, uh, many people. But I think that if we can tell our world around us that we need them to party, and everyone is welcome here no matter who they are, Um, I think that's a great way of telling or proclaiming the coming kingdom. So um, Fleming, Dr. Fleming, argues that this combination of being, doing, and telling are essential to fully participating in the mission of God. The mission of God being this um, redeeming and reconciling from Genesis all the way through Revelation. In doing this, we recognize that the church does not exist for the sake of the church itself, um, but it exists for the sake of the world, and being agents of redeeming and reconciling all creation. In Psalm 65, we see a song of worship and praise, as I had mentioned earlier, but Dr. Fleming asserts that it is more than that. He says that the proclamation is not for God's ears alone. It is also intended to transform the perspectives of those who hear it which makes sense with our, um, you know, our desire for liturgies. But I don't think that's just us in this room. I think proclaiming the good news is also for those outside 
um, and, and reading these psalms of praise to our God. Our praise is definitely transformative, not only to ourselves, but to those around us. And uh, this belief that participating in God's redemptive work will change the climate crisis. That phrase, our belief in participating in this redemptive work will change the cr- climate crisis, is something that we need to hear, but also our world needs to hear. When we clean up trash, recycle, produce clean water, reforest hillsides, restore coral reefs, or even just participating in the season of creation, we are proclaiming to the world around us that this is what the kingdom looks like. This becomes our witness as Christians, playing a part in God's restoring purpose, not just for us, but for the whole of the earth. Um, Because as a church, our fundamental calling is to be people of blessing for the sake of creation. This is something um, that we need to be pursuing, and I think we are pursuing. I'll get into more of that later. Um, In the beginning of Professor Fleming's book, he has an excerpt on why it's important um, to have our witness as creation care. And I want to read that really quick because I don't think that I would do as good of a job explaining it. So he says, Creation care is not a temporary, trendy option for God's people. If God has compassion on all he has made, then surely his people should embody that same love and passion towards God's earth. What's more, such an embodiment becomes a form of witness to the world. Truly Christian environmental action is in fact also evangelistically fruitful, not because it is any kind of cover for real mission, but simply because it declares in word and deed the Creator's limitless love for those who follow Him and the whole of creation. and makes no secret of the biblical story of the cost that the Creator paid to redeem them both. If God's long-term purpose is to restore all of creation, then God's people must model that purpose before a watching world. Here, Dean asserts that God has been redeeming and reconciling all of creation the whole time, which I think is a good understanding. But if we believe that, then we also have to believe that we're not alone in the climate crisis. God is with us and is already working to redeem and reconcile the environment. Now, how do I know this? Well, that's a great question because, um, as we know, a lot of the studies that come out are not very promising. Uh, So I know that I'm not denying that this exists. I know that um, scientists have recently declared um, more species extinct, um, that large-scale climate action seems quite difficult to come by. Uh, To quote Greta Thunberg, it's all blah, 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 if you saw her recent speech. Um, Trees are being chopped down in our city every day, and I guess this list can go on, right? We we often are able to tell the negative things very often. But I'm here today, um, not denying this, I recognize it, um, but to show the hope that is happening, because God is at work. And we are invited to join God in this work of redeeming and reconciling all creation. Um, I have hope because our young ones are leading trash cleanups during recess at school. Hope because regenerative agriculture is showing 
that it can actually tangibly heal, heal our soil. Hope because in the, fast, in the past five years, community, whoa, community, I don't know what that word is. Uh, <laughs> the past five years, community composting has increased in the U.S. by 65%, according to the USPIRG Education Fund. Hope because in our community, we are transforming, or some of us, are transforming a previously fuel-efficient vehicle into a fully electric mode of transportation. Hope because we see these major dust clouds, um, known as the Saharan air layer, move from the Saharan desert across the Atlantic Ocean to the Amazon rainforest, where the dust acts as fertilizer to sustain life. Hope because people in our community are writing books to transform Christians into being a catalyst for change in the environmental crisis. Hope because, according to the University of Washington, the number of community gardens have increased by over 250% in the past 30 years. Hope because last year, 1.9 billion trees were planted. And in 2019, Ethiopia planted 350 million trees in one day, setting a world record. I have hope because God is already at work redeeming and reconciling all creation and has invited us into participating in this recreation. Re recreation, geez. Reconciliation, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> as we witness through being, doing, and telling, as Dean Fleming asserts, uh, let's not forget that caring for creation is proclaiming the good news. That is what God's kingdom looks like. Restoration of all of creation. So as this week was rediscovered, I want to invite you to think about what participating in God's redemptive work would look like in a new way. Um, there's lots of examples of how we can better integrate ourselves into um, the ecological cycle, like composting. But I just invite you to rethink that, to see where is God moving already? Where can I help? What skills do I have that can help um, end the climate crisis because we're not alone. So to close, instead of praying, um, I would like to read Psalm 65 together um, as praise to our creator and sustainer of life. Let us praise together. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed, you who answer prayer. To you all fresh shall come. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. Happy are those who you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. By your strength, you establish the mountains. You are girded with might. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. Make the gateways of the morning and evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. 
you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for you so have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. The wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pasture of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord today. <clears throat> 